you know, the joke was last uh, last uh, service that I said, you know, Doug was supposed to not get back until today or Monday or something, but he came home. He want to make sure how it did right. You <laughs> want to watch me, make sure I didn't mess things up. All right, um, but I, I do appreciate. Um, I am humbled. I'll be honest. My wife will tell you I, I'm I'm humbled uh, to come up here. This is a privilege and honor, and uh, I appreciate not only Doug but you all showing up. <laughs> and you knew I was going to be here too, and you still came. I appreciate that. But um, <clears throat> you know, my little story always goes. Um, how this sermon comes about. I, I try to just, I don't know, I guess I say that, just try to let you know that I think God's working, even in a, a person like me, right? God uses us despite our flaws. But the last time I preached for Doug was like six months ago or so. It was four months ago. Okay. That's ministerial speaking. Okay, still four months, <clears throat> four months. But even four months ago, Last year, so when I, when I get done, I be, immediately begin to pray, God, what do you want me to preach whenever Doug asks me? Because I really don't know when Doug's going to ask me to preach. Uh, he, you know, he comes and asks me different times, and so I, I begin to pray now. I don't know when. So I'm telling you, as I began to pray, immediately after those four months you know, ago, this sermon came to my mind. God said, you've got to preach this. I was Okay. So I think there's a need here in our church. I want to preach to you about the enemy's devices. The enemy's devices. Now, believe me, I don't want to give Satan any credit, but we do have to be wise about what he does and how he works. And so that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to give any glory to him. I want to give all the glory to God, but we do need to be wise. And this is our starting verse. that Paul actually talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Uh, verses 9 through 11. It says this, For to this end I also wrote, Paul said this to the Corinthian church, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Now they had, they had some church problems. Any church does. And there were some things that happened and there was some forgiveness that needed to be done. And Paul said, for indeed I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one, the person that, that, that was the problem. For your sakes, in the presence of Christ, he says this, least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now I want to get into different parts of this verse later on, but I want to concentrate first on this, this particular term, his devices. Now, that term devices means ploy, design, scheme, as kind of broad range. Has the idea of a plan that's especially one, especially one used to outwit an opponent or an achieve an end. So Satan has a design, you might say, not just a, a scheme here and there. We're going to look at both of those, but a design. He's got, he's got a plot to go from A to B to C to D to get a hold in your life. And Paul admonishes us and he tells us, man, we should not be ignorant of this. But I believe many of us Christians are, especially the world. Now, the three avenues of temptation that all mankind face, we see in 1 John chapter 2, there in 15 and 16. Uh, the apostle John wrote, 
Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, these three things, the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh, that's that fleshly appetites that are contrary to God's nature or will. It's not necessarily sexual sin, which it does include, but it's more than that. It's those appetites. It's those things that we desire. It says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the eyes, that, that's, that's a, a, something that plagues both young and old, rich and poor, all nations, all races, even cats are plagued by this. How many of you own a cat? How many of you ever tripped over a cat? You know what I'm talking about. Well, see, if you've ever seen cat logic, you'll understand what that means, see? Right? That's empty to the cat. But isn't that us? Isn't that us? We're never satisfied. Uh, I need a new car. I mean, you got that new, you got that other new car. Yeah, but that car is three years old. I need a new car. See, I need a new this and I need a new that. I need another fishing rod. I need another makeup bag. I need another something. I need another, for me, another game, right? Never satisfied. Never satisfied with, with the things that you've been blessed with. That's the lust of the eyes. My little one-and-a-half-year-old grandson, well, he can have this toy and that toy and a whole box full of toys, but he sees that toy over there that somebody else has. It plagues us all. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that pride of life is basically it's life is about me. I see myself better than anybody else. My needs are better than anybody else's needs. And ultimately, my needs are more important than God's needs. Pride of life. Okay? Now, just to show you kind of how smart Satan is, it said in a poll that 83% of Americans were fairly certain to absolutely certain that God exists. 83%. That's pretty good. I guess it's not actually it's not good, but you know, but I mean, you think 83%, but that's not saying they're Christian. That's just saying someone believes there is a God that exists. The scary part is out of those Americans, only 57% believe that the devil existed. So that means that there's a whole group of people that believe in God. that don't even believe in the devil. So he's doing a good job. Now, we, um, a long time ago, there was a, uh, a county fair. And uh, the church, well, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know, a long time ago, there was a church that was at a county fair. There's county fairs all the time. But um, in their booth, they you know, gave out Bibles and tracts and witness and counsel and things like that. And they had a man in their church that went around dressed in a devil suit. He had a pitchfork and a tail and horns. And he walked around that county fair telling people, don't go over to that church booth. Hey, y'all, stay away from that church booth. Sounds kind of funny, but 
There's a lot of truth to that. You know, we tend to, uh, man, church is the last place we come to, and Christians and our brothers and sisters is the last place we go to find help. Satan has a design in that. And that's what I want to look at for Satan's design, that plot, that, that ploy that he has, the plan that he kind of goes through. Now, in my weird mind way, right, we're starting on number four. It's not a misprint. There's a reason. We're starting on number four. The fourth thing, the last thing is Satan seeks total destruction of your life. See, that's the ultimate goal of what he wants to do. Seek total destruction for your life. Now, that's not necessarily your, you know, the, your life as in like your death, which he would like that too. But that is like destruction of your life that you have no hope, you have no help, you have no faith, you have no testimony. It just destroys you where you just are lost. That's his ultimate goal. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the apostle Peter wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, there's no coincidence that God chose the lion. I mean, like Doug has many times, there's no um, fluff in the Bible. He just, just didn't pick an animal. Hey, a lion sounds good. There's a reason you know, in Bible times, you know, a lion in Bible times was the apex predator in that land. He feared nothing. He hunted without prejudice. He killed without mercy, and he feasted without remorse. And I'm telling you, Satan has no care for you for how your life turns out, how your kid turns out, how your spouse turns out, what happens at your job, what happens in your home, how your health, he could care less. All he seeks to do is try to hurt God, and you are the tool that he's going to use because the Bible says God loved the whole world, that he gave his only son. And so he seeks to hurt God by hurting everybody else. So he seeks to destroy your life. That's his ultimate goal. But before he can destroy your life, he first has to seek a tool to do his will. See, that has to come first. It just doesn't destroy you like that. There's a process before. He's looking for a tool that's willing to do his will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this in verse 24 to 26, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting uh, those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance at that change of mind. Somebody, and he's going to explain who this is, so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, Paul is saying that Satan is out there and he is, his desire, before he could ever destroy your life, he has to ensnare you. He has to get you to where you're doing his will, where you're doing those things that he likes. Paul here, or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, Paul, yes, uses the terms snare and captive. You know, there are sins, 
you know, that we, I mean, there, there are sins out there that ensnare us and, and bind us that, that we struggle and we try to break and we try to get out of them. It seems like we can't, but you know, there, there's some sins in our life that we don't even realize have a snare on us. Pride. Haughtiness. Unforgiving. Judgmental. A lot of sins that have a snare on us that we don't put down. And so that's what the devil seeks. He seeks to ensnare us before he can ever destroy us. But before he can ever ensnare us, he first has to find a place in your heart. That's number two. So he can't ensnare you unless you, he has a place. Now, there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, be angry and sin not. So there's a time to be angry. There's a time to be upset. There's things that, you should, that should make you a little perturbed. But he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So Paul made a connection between having anger that has not been controlled, or I should anger that has not been uh, checked, that leads to letting Satan have a place in your life. Now, place there has the meaning that's used in the Bible, everything from a room to a building to a territory, a land, even like an office or a position that someone might have. That's the idea of place. I mean, it's very broad. And Satan doesn't care. He just wants that place. He wants to, you know, I've, I've heard the story. He just wants to come in and live in your house. He just wants a room all to himself. And you think, you know, I, I think everything is okay. You know, everything else looks fine and, and the living room's okay and the bathroom's okay, but Satan's living in a bedroom in my home. I gave him a place in my life. And that's what he seeks before he can ever get you to do his will, before he could ever destroy your life. He seeks a place. He seeks a place. But before he ever can get a place, he first has got to get his foot in the door. And that's the first thing. He seeks the upper hand. And that's where our verse comes from. And back in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the last part of verse 10, the first part of verse 11, he says, Paul said, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Least Satan should take advantage of us. So Paul was saying, you know, I know and understand that Satan has devices and he has, he has ways to get in our life. And I know that if I have unforgiven, if I have somebody I have not and will not forgive, I am letting Satan get a foot in the door. Satan, take advantage of us. Now, that word advantage is to get the, the better of, to exploit. Now, people laughed in the first service, but I am a sportsy kind of guy, believe it or not. <laughs> you know? I know, I told him, I know there's some sports that, like, if you have two teams and a, one of the team members gets in a lot of trouble, they, he can't play, and now 
It's like one team has more people and the other team has less. And I told him, like, golf, right? Doesn't golf do that? And he told me, no. But someone said hockey does. And basketball, another person said. So I know my sports, my friend. I know my sports. Okay? I am kind of the macho man. I know I might not look it, but, but I am. But, no, seriously. But, you know, Satan hits what he looks. He looks for an advantage. He looks to get one up on you. That's all he needs. That's, that's really what he's looking for to begin. Because that's how all the other things take place. If he can just get a foot in the door to get an advantage. So since our passage we talked about, he said, don't be ignorant because Satan seeks a scheme, a device, a plan to get in your life. I want to look at maybe those, those individual little knocks at the door, the little nudges where he tries to nudge his way in. And the best way to look at that is, well, our Savior for ex- as an example. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told this by the writer of Hebrews. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot, be, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus knows what you're going through. He had, he had flesh like us, but it was without sin. As he says in the next passage there, he says, but, not, but was in all points tempted as we, we are, yet without sin. So he got hungry, he got tired, he got thirsty. His body, you know, ate after working all day. There's a carpenter. And he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace in time of need. But that's that key passage there that he was tempted on all points as we are. So Jesus knows what we're going through. And probably the greatest example is looking in the passage where Jesus was actually approached by Satan himself and had a one-on-one confrontation with him. And I think we look at this, we can find several schemes. Some are obvious, maybe some some aren't too obvious, but that he used. Now, remember, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. So he never fell to Satan's temptation. But So he always came up with a way to try to get his foot in the door over and over because Jesus never gave him a place, surrendered to his will, or just he destroyed his life. So Satan was always looking to get a foot in the door. And we're going to see here several times he tries over and over and over to get advantage of him. So in Matthew chapter 4, which is several verses, 11 verses, but we need to read this again, kind of understanding what's going on. Now this is the temptation of Christ when right at the beginning of it, before his ministry, that this happened to him. It says there in verse number one, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So the whole purpose was to let Satan have this time with him. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up in the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up, 
on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So as Satan, I mean, I'm sorry, as Christ was tempted, so are we tempted by Satan in the same way. And I want to look at just a few of those. One, I want to see that he was, uh, the Satan's uh, uh, device is to get you alone, to get you alone. See, Jesus willingly went through this temptation for us, just as he went to the cross for us. So he went into the wilderness for us. But I'm telling you, that is the ploy of Satan is to get you alone, to get you alone. You might be in the midst of a family, but you feel alone. You might be in a marriage 20 years, and yet you alone. You might be at your job with 20, 30, 40 people around you, but you feel alone. You might even come to this church and sit in these chairs, and yet you feel alone. And that, I'm telling you, is Satan's device. He's trying to get a foot in the door. He wants you to feel that nobody cares about your problems. You have them all to yourself. Nobody cares about your feelings. Nobody cares about your burdens. You don't connect with other Christians, and you don't let Christians speak life into you. And that's what he wants. He wants to get you alone. Now, you know, we, we try. We're not perfect here at New Life, for sure. As you could tell by the video we watched, right? We're kind of messed up. But you know what? We, we really want to welcome and, and, and be warm to anybody of whoever walks through those doors. Whatever problem, whatever burden, whatever you are, just as Christ accepts you however you are, that's what we want. We want to accept you wherever you are at in life. But I'm telling you what, it is really ultimately your responsibility about getting connected in church. I know we have a welcome group, and that's good. We're doing our part, but I'm telling you, your part is you got to get involved. you got to hook up with some brothers and sisters who are serving God and living for the Lord and come alongside and be ministered by them. You need to get with a, another Christian couple that have been through what you've been through and are on the other side and not go through this alone. It's, it's your responsibility if you feel like you're, you're alone. You've got to do something about it. Because I'm telling you, that's Satan's ploy to get you alone. Secondly is to tempt you after an accomplishment. It says there are fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that, I'd say that is, that is, such an, that is a, uh, a pretty, that's pretty big. 40 days and 40 nights? Not many people have fasted like that. Now, I have been on a 40 fast. I've been on a 40 fast before. It's hard. Doug didn't believe me, but I have. It takes, you have to prepare. You know, you have to set aside time. You, you have to be very wise in what you do. You know, a lot of people have like uh, diabetes and things like that, and they have to be careful, you know, how they fast. So this is a great accomplishment, you know, and, and I was, and I'm trying to be proud, but, you know, it was, it was a good feeling. And after 40 minutes, I was famished. <laughs> 40 fast, you see what I'm saying? 40 minutes. That's all I could do, my friend. Yeah, boo. 
40 minutes. That's it. 40 minutes. But I'm telling you, Satan comes after you get the big job, after you get that engagement, after you accomplish this, after you do that, after you get a victory over this sin, I'm telling you what, he comes in. We kind of get our guard down. We kind of get on a high. We're like, oh, man, this is great. This is going my way. Things are going good. And Satan's looking for a way to get his foot in the door. So not only after an accomplishment, after trying to get you alone, but he also wants to tempt you when you're weak. As it says there, afterward he was hungry, and you know, or hungry. Now the Bible, you know, it, like I said, it, it doesn't try to you know make things. It, it's not trying to pat Jesus on the back, but it's almost a little, little of an understatement. You know what I'm saying? Forty days and forty nights. Yeah, I bet he was hungry, but he was weak. He fasted. His body, you know, those things take a toll, and and he was he was weak, and then that's when Satan comes, and so Satan's waiting for your when you at your at a weak moment. Things just aren't going right. Got some problems and some burdens and some stress and some things, and then he wants to come on in. He waits till you're weak. Not only does he wait till you're weak, but he he tempts you in your weaknesses. See, some things he knows is harder for you than maybe something else. And I've told many of you before that you come to this church, you know how my testimony and stuff. Man, you could put... A, a huge barrel of beer, wine, alcohol, it doesn't, you know, whiskey, you could just, bottles and bottles. That ain't going to tempt me. It just, it doesn't, Satan knows that is not my weakness. That is not my weakness. But Satan knows this thing over here is my weakness. I'm going to tell you what my weakness is. <laughs> But that's, he knows what your weakness is. He knows if it's your kids, your spouse, your body, your friends, your money, your health. He knows that one thing, how did I get you? And that's what he does. He comes at your weakest point. Not only is that, he, he disguises it as something good. Says they're bread. You know, it, Satan uses good things in a bad way. It's something good at the wrong time. This guy, you know, tells me, hey, man, i am got this new job. Man, I've been praying and this and that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to be out of church, away from my house, not around my family, and, uh, yeah, I've been struggling with some sin in my life. I'm like, oh, man, this, <laughs> is that really God? Is that really God that brought that job along? I mean, not, not only just getting out of church and your family and all, but, but you're struggling and, and you're, you're not strong and he's going to get you out alone? Man, but that's how he works. He takes something good at the wrong time, hey, the wrong place. 
And that's what he did. And bread. Here, Jesus, you're hungry. Bread. Just, you know, you're, you're gonna, he was gonna, Jesus was going to break his fast anyway. We read that. The angels came and ministered. That word is, is the same word used whenever Mary and Martha and all those people ministered to Jesus. And they took care of his needs because he was out preaching and doing that. Uh, you know, and so that's what they did. So it, it, the idea is that those angels brought some sort of nourishment for him when they ministered to him. They didn't pat him on the back. Hey, attaboy, Jesus. Man, that's good, you know. That's the idea that's behind that word. Just the right thing at the wrong time. Not only does he do that, but he plays on um, privilege or deserving. You know, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, that, that was going to be Jesus. I mean, that's, that was his. He deserved that. He's going to be the king of king and Lord lords. He is the king of king and Lord lords. He's just not in control of that yet, but it's coming to him one day. And Satan brings that and says, hey, isn't this what you deserve? You know, we, we have what we think we deserve, our needs. Well, I need this. Satan uses that. Uses things that we think we deserve. Not only does that, he also tempts to cause negative division. Now, I say negative division because, you know, there is some division that is you need to have. There's some people that you need to not have an influence in your life. There's some folks that are not helping you down the path of godliness. There's some division you need to have that's good division. But I'm talking about negative division. You know, the verses 6 and 9, when Satan came, he was ultimately trying to divide the Father and the Son. That's what he was trying to do. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse um, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and Satan was trying to make Jesus do his own will, to make that decision for himself. Now, Satan didn't know all that was going on with Christ coming. He, he knew a lot of things that were going on, but the Bible tells us that nobody knew fully what was about the crucifixion and all that was going to be done. That was hidden. But he, he knew enough to know something's going on here. And he was trying to get to um, jump off that pinnacle to kill himself, or at least try knowing that the angels would come and save him because he knew he wasn't going to die that way. And that's why Jesus told him that to do that is to tempt God because that is not God's will. So he was trying to divide the Father and the Son. Now, I'm telling you what, Satan seeks to create negative division, whether in your home, where you work with other Christians, maybe, I, I tell you, not maybe, I tell you for sure, here in this church, he seeks to divide us. He's looking for someone that'll let him stick his foot in the door, just to let him in a little bit. Cause division. Get people to get a place, follow his will, destroy their life. He just needs a foot in the door. Not only that, that he also attempts to install fear, whether physically, mentally, or spiritually. Now, when Jesus was taken up on top of the pinnacle of the temple, um, 
Doug hid this from me. I didn't know we, backup pastors were never allowed to use these things back in the day right there. I told we we didn't have this in backup pastor school. We had like a, a stick we would just point. We weren't allowed to have these. But Doug was very gracious to let me, because he knew we would do things like this. If not, <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, I got to stop. All right, so the pinnacle of the temple, okay, the pinnacle of the temple is right there. That's what they say. Because that's the highest point of, of the temple area. It, from the top of the, of the pinnacle there to the bottom right there where the street is, that's 211 feet. And to out here, you can see this valley that, well, from here you can't see as well, but that's a valley that flows straight down right after, right along this edge that just goes straight down another couple hundred feet. So, so now this pinnacle is 400 feet from the bottom of that valley right there. It's when you stand up there. Now, if you've ever been to Six, Fly, Six Flags and seen the oil derrick, ever, ever seen that at Six Flags? Been there? Anybody? Seen it? A few? A few? That looks kind of high, doesn't it? Can you imagine standing up there? The pinnacle of the temple above the Kidron Valley is 100 feet higher than that tower at Six Flags. 100 feet higher. Um, I think it's a 25-story building is equivalent to, I think is what it is. Now, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's weak. He hasn't eaten. He's hungry. His body, he, he had a, a, a body of flesh just without sin. So you can imagine fasting for that long. And the devil has him up there on the edge of this pinnacle looking down 400 feet to the Kidron Valley. And though he was trying to tempt him about jumping, it, it, you know what he was doing? He was trying to get fear because he was, because Jesus was, a, you know, he's the God man. And he was seeking to strike fear on that man part of Jesus being way up 400 feet. And his legs were weak and, and stuff and Satan had him up there. I'm telling you, Satan seeks fear. Install fear in your life, whether physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to get you to fear. And I think um, for me, that is probably the biggest thing that I have struggled with. Maybe that is one of my weaknesses is fear. I fear about my job. I fear about me and my wife's health. I'm 52 this year. I know you all don't think that's a big A, but for a person who's never been 52, that's, that's old. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? I mean, if I live like most people live, I've lived more than half my life. More than half my life is gone. You know? I fear about my kids. I fear my wife is going to be okay. All these things, man, fear, fear. And that's what Satan wants, man, to get that foot hold in the door. Because you don't trust in God. You don't have peace. You're not happy. And that's what he seeks to do. Now, the th good thing is that there is obviously encouragement. Man, I didn't know. Wrap it up. <laughs> All right. So wrap it up. I'm sorry, brother. All right. The very last verse. Here it is. One from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Skip that big one. Yeah. 
This is after he said, resist the devil. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. That's how you do it. You got to resist him. You got to make a stand. You got to make a choice. I'm, gonna res- I'm not going to let the devil have a foothold in my life, a place in my life, do his will. He's not going to destroy me. I'm going to resist him by the power of God and by the grace of Jesus Christ. You got to stand up. You got to stand up and do your part. And I'm, I'm done because I'm sorry. I didn't realize. They didn't teach us how to tell time either in backup pastor class. Uh, the lights are too, the lights are too. And I got a new watch too, but I still didn't look, so I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, let's pray. See that? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you, Lord. And I know we, we, it's a very, it's a very um, sobering subject. And it really can, you know, hit hard sometimes. But, Lord, I pray that you would um, just help us to be wise and to be, to have illumination where Satan is getting into our lives, where he has got a foothold, maybe he's got a place. He's taking residence, living in our house. And Lord, help us to see that, Lord, and to, to give us the, the power through Christ to resist him and, and to put him out and close the door and to, to have faith and live for you. I pray, God, just give our church strength, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.